The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Well, this is the second weekend in our series called Begin Again, and last week we began with this idea by talking about the fact that all of us have relationships that we would like to have the opportunity to kind of begin again in. For some of us, that's our marriage. For some of us, that's the relationship we have with our kids. It's the relationship that we have with our parents. Many times, it's even the relationship that we have with God. And we said last week that one of the challenges that when it comes to that relationship specifically is that for many of us, for many of us, that relationship with God, it started a long, long time ago back in our childhood. That God, he actually placed the gift of faith into your heart during your baptism. He gave you that gift of faith. And so your, your faith journey, it began, and it began with a certain framework of ideas. It began with ideas like God is real, like God is good, like God answers prayer, like God actually rewards good people. Most of us had those ideas kind of handed to us somewhere back in childhood, but then for you, something kind of happened. You actually became an adult, and you kind of grew up. And for many of us, when that happened, what also happened is this gap developed between what it is that, that we experienced in our adult life and in our adult world and what it is that we had been told or, or taught about God when we were young. Maybe for you, maybe for you, you were taught that God actually heals people. And so you prayed. You, you prayed very specifically that God would heal someone, and he didn't. Or, or maybe for you, you were told that God you know, answers prayer. And so you prayed about your mom, you prayed about your dad, maybe you prayed about your mom and dad's relationship, but God didn't answer that prayer, did he? And and so you didn't know quite what to do with that. You didn't know where that left you. And so over time, over time, that faith foundation that many of us had as children or that we somehow, you know, pieced together on our own as we were growing up, that began to diminish under the weight and the, the pressures of adult life in, in this world. And slowly over time, uh, we began to kind of drift away. And you weren't mad at God. You weren't necessarily mad at the church. And you didn't stop believing everything. But you did stop believing some things. And then from your perspective, you just kind of woke up one day and it just seemed like it just didn't matter all that much to you anymore. It just wasn't as important to you as it used to be. And see, maybe you always thought this was just a you thing, that that, that you were the only one who ever felt this way. You were the only one who ever experienced this in in their life. But see, that's not true. That's not true. This isn't a you thing. This is actually an everybody thing. This is an all of us kind of a thing. And so because of that, because of that, we actually decided to do this series and to kind of, you know, together hit the restart button when it comes to the subject of faith and when it comes specifically to the the subject of faith in God and really ask the question, what does it mean to begin again when it comes to this whole idea of belief? Because at some point in our adult lives, every single one of us, we all begin to experience some very, very traumatic circumstances in life, don't we? I mean, we go to a series of funerals, we see what's happening in the the lives of our kids and the lives of our family, maybe in the lives of our parents, and we begin to ask some questions. We ask questions like, you know, was any of that stuff I was told way back there, was that actually true? Was that actually true? Is there any way for me to know that that was true? I mean, is there any, is there any proof of all of this? That's kind of where we ended last week. And we also ended by saying, listen, if you're really serious, if you're actually serious about wanting to begin again when it comes to this whole idea uh, of faith and this whole idea of belief, then the question that you've got to start with is honestly asking that question, you know, who, 
who is Jesus? And I told you last week that if you didn't feel like you could actually answer that question yet, that's okay. And I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad that you still are honestly, and I would just encourage you to keep honestly asking that question. And today, as we continue in our series, we're going to actually talk about a word. And we're going to talk about a word that that I'm fairly certain you only ever hear when you're in church. And and there's a couple of reasons for this. This is not a word that you you normally hear anyplace else. In fact, the word is actually a word that sometimes you don't even hear there anymore. And it's it's this word right here. We'll put it up on the screen. It's the word sin. Now, there's a couple of reasons why you would only ever hear you know, this word when, when you're in church. Part of the reason is because this term is almost, this word is almost exclusively a theological term, isn't it? I mean, you don't, you don't hear this word anywhere other than when you're talking about God, and specifically when you're talking about the God of Judaism or Christianity. That's the only time you kind of ever bump into this word, right? Because your boss doesn't call you into your office or into their office and say, listen, sit down, we need to talk about your sins, right? Your boss probably doesn't do that, do they? As a parent, you don't say to your kids, more than likely, you probably don't say to your kids, hey, I want you to stop sinning against me. Now, you might want to say that, but that's, that's, probably, not, that's probably not the term that you use. That's probably not what you say when you're talking to your kids. When you come home from work and you open your mail and, and you have an overdraft at the bank, you don't get a sin charge right from the bank, do you? No, that's not, the, that's not what happens, is it? See, this term, sin, is almost exclusively a, a theological term. And see, the other reason why we don't use this word very much is because the, the, the term sin is a very weighty term, isn't it? I mean, this is a very heavy word. This is a very, there's no opportunity to shift the blame. Or, or point the finger, right, when it comes to this word? Because the word sin, it's like looking in a mirror, and it's like, okay, yeah, that's the problem, right? It's right there, I see it all. And, and, and so because of that, this is, a very, this is a very heavy word. And so what we've done in our society and our culture is we've, we've, be, we've begun to kind of substitute this word for a different word, which is much lighter to carry, it's much easier to carry, it's a much, it's a much lighter feeling word. But see, the truth is it's actually a terrible word. It's actually a terrible word. It's this word. It's the word, it's the word mistake. And the reason this word mistake is such a terrible word is, is because it's a very sanitized word. It doesn't even come close to, to the magnitude or to the gravity of the word sin. And again, I understand why it is that, that we've done that. Because the word sin, it kind of leaves me feeling, you know, it leaves me feeling like now, okay, it, it's game over, right? Like there's no hope for me. Like I am hopeless. Like, like there's, there's no possibility of moving forward. Like now that I've sinned, right? Now that I've sinned, I'm worthless. I'm youth, useless. So, so I get it. I understand why it is that we're tempted to, to substitute this word. But see, here's the problem with this. The, the word mistake, the word mistake implies that I had insufficient knowledge about something, right? I mean, I turned left, I should have turned right, so I, I made a mistake, and consequently I'm lost. Because the truth is I have actually no, no idea where, where I am. See, if you ever go anywhere with me, you will hear that phrase over and over and over again. Because when it comes to directions when it comes to navigation. I have no idea where I ever am, and so I constantly make that mistake over and over and over again because when it comes to the issue of navigation, I have insufficient knowledge. For me, 
right? For me, north is always straight ahead and east is always to the right, which if that sounds reasonable to you, then perhaps you should not be allowed to navigate either because I have insufficient knowledge when it comes to this, this whole world of directions. And yes, you can make You can make the same mistake twice, or in my case, you can make the same mistake dozens and dozens of times, and you can actually have a lack of knowledge that perpetually causes you problems and causes you difficulties. But see, here's the thing. You don't don't plan for a mistake, do you? You don't buy airline tickets for a mistake. Right? A company, uh, an individual, a politician, a movie star in our world, they don't hire a PR firm to re-image their campaign, re-image their company, re-image their, you know, their social image after a years-long or a decades-long mistake, do you? See, you know what the problem with this word is? You know what you do with a mistake? You correct Right? You, you correct a mistake. But the problem is this. You can't fix you. I, I can't fix me. I, I've tried. It, it doesn't work. Right? I've tried. I am the problem. You, you are the problem. Your wife has tried to fix you. Your husband has tried to fix you. Your friends have tried to fix you. See, the, the problem with the word mistake is that you just correct a mistake. And see, if you're really serious about wanting to restart your faith, if you're really serious about wanting to begin again when it comes to the subject and the idea of belief, then one of the questions you've got to ask and that you've got to answer is simply, why can't I do what I know it is that I should do? I mean, you've got to think about this. Think about this on a macro level. Think about this on a global level. Think about this nationally in our country. I mean, everything that we, that we rally against, everything that we raise money for, Everything that we hear about on the news that just sucks the life out of us, it breaks our hearts, it makes us want to weep and cry, all of that is really just a mistake? Seriously? All this insanity? We're just going to chalk all of this up to, well, nobody's perfect, I guess? Really? Maybe Jesus was right. Now, it shouldn't surprise you that when Jesus taught, I mean, he, he taught about sin. And whenever Jesus taught about sin, whenever he talked about sin, he always taught about sin in a very specific way. And Jesus always taught that sin, it breaks relationships. That's what Jesus always taught, that, that sin, it breaks relationships. And, and we have all experienced this. If you have ever experienced a broken relationship in your life, then you have experienced the consequences and the results of sin. And so because of that, whenever Jesus taught about sin, his purpose, it was always restoration and it was never condemnation. And see, yet the challenge is this. Jesus would say, okay, listen, I want to talk about sin, but our response is, no, I don't want to talk about sin because I don't want to feel bad about myself. But Jesus would say, okay, no, listen, we have to talk about sin because if we don't talk about sin, then there's no, there's no possible way for you to ever actually be restored. Because listen, as long as you think you can fix you, Jesus would say, I can't help you. Because that whole idea that God helps those who help themselves, that idea is not, that is not from God. See, here, here's what Jesus knew that is so important. Jesus knew that as long as you think that you are just 
making mistakes, you're never going to actually seek the thing that you actually need the most. Because listen, if sin is what breaks relationships, then what is it that actually restores a relationship? See, you, you've been in this situation a thousand times. Somebody that you love, somebody that you care about, someone that maybe may a spouse, maybe a, a very close friend, maybe a sibling for you perhaps. You're in a relationship with this person. They've done something that is deeply, deeply hurtful to you. And so they, they have really, they, they've hurt you and wounded you at the deepest level possible. And so you confront them about what it is that they've done, and they kind of just look at you and they say, you know, I'm sorry. Sorry. How restored is that relationship? Right? I mean, see, if that, if that relationship is actually going to be restored, then something else needs to happen, doesn't there? I mean, what's, what's wrong with that picture? See, what's wrong is this. For them... They just think they made a mistake, and so sorry for the mistake. And so now that I've apologized, now aren't we back? And you're like, no, we're not back. Why does that happen? Because, see, for them it was just a mistake, but for you, this was something that hurt you. This was something that deeply wounded you. For you, this is much more than just a simple mistake. This is something that actually requires forgiveness, but see, understand this, mistakes do not require for forgiveness. So as long as you think that you're, you're just making mistakes, you're never going to actually seek for forgiveness. Because again, a mistake was just, oh, hey, bad judgment. Right? A mistake was, oh, I'll try better next time. A mistake was, I just didn't have enough information. And that's why people are like, oh, are we back? And you're like, no, we're not back. That's why. That's why that happens. Because if the relationship is ever going to be restored, then something else, something more, actually needs to take place, right? I mean, the offender has to actually acknowledge that an offense has occurred. I mean, they have to actually look you in the eye and say to you, listen, I am sorry I hurt you. I, I know that what it is that I did, that it was deeply hurtful to you, and I love you, and I am, I am sorry that I hurt you. That's what has to happen if that relationship is ever going to be restored, right? See, here's Jesus' point. This is, this is why you should be reading Jesus, because, because literally Jesus is the only one who teaches us this. And this goes all the way back to what it is that we said last week dealing with the issue of uncertainty. Jesus says, listen, your heavenly Father, he actually wants you personally, he actually wants you individually to be restored to him. But the only way that you're ever going to be restored to him is to actually seek forgiveness. And the only way and the only reason that you would actually seek forgiveness is if you understand and if you, if you realize that you don't just simply make mistakes every once in a while. That it's deeper than that. And it's actually worse. It's actually worse than that. That I'm not just simply a mistaker. That I'm actually a sinner. 
And Jesus says, but listen, but listen, that doesn't mean that you're hopeless. That doesn't mean that you're worthless. That doesn't mean game over. In fact, Jesus would go on to say, you know, the exact opposite is actually true. This is what's so amazing about Jesus. Whenever Jesus would talk about sin, he never minimized it. He never dumbed it down. Jesus never took the approach of, of okay, let's just give everyone a trophy. He never did any of that stuff. Instead, what Jesus would do when he would teach is he would say to people, listen, you think that you've done a few things that are bad? You actually have no idea. You have no idea how bad you actually are. And then he would raise the bar so high that everyone who was listening to Jesus would say, okay, we're sinners, we're doomed. And Jesus would say, okay, okay, that's not true. That's not the case. You're sinners, but you're not doomed. In fact, once people would acknowledge that they were doomed, Jesus would actually say, okay, listen, I've got some great news for you because I'm actually here for doomed people. In fact, I am only here for doomed people. I am not here for you unless you are doomed. But to actually be doomed, you have to acknowledge the fact that you are doomed, that, that you are actually a sinner, that God, that God actually loves doomed people. But people who are doomed and people in general will not experience the love of God until they admit that they are doomed. Take out your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to jump into the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having with a group of people where we see all of this play out. It's in Matthew chapter 5, if you're using one of the Bibles in the seat back in front of you, page 1502, verse 20. Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people that have gathered to hear him teach. And Jesus tells them this. He makes this crazy-sounding statement to us in verse 20. He says this. He says, I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus says, unless you are better than the best people that you know, then you, then you are doomed. And so the people are listening to Jesus and they're thinking to themselves, okay, Jesus, I think I understand what you're saying, but... I have a question for you, Jesus, because here's the thing. You're right. Jesus, you're right. There are some people that I know, and they are, they are better than me. But Jesus, what exactly do you mean by better? Because here's the thing, Jesus. There, there, there are some people, and I know on the outside that they actually look better than me, but the truth is they're really not better than me. So, Jesus, what, what, exactly, what exactly do you mean by better? And so Jesus says, okay, that's a fair question. And he goes on and he says this in verse 21. He said, you have heard, it, heard that it was said to the people a long time ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or his sister will be subject to judgment. So basically Jesus looks at these people and he says, okay, anyone, anyone who is actually guilty of anger and guilty of wanting to hurt someone, from God's perspective, they are just as guilty and they will face the exact same judgment as someone who does actually go out and hurt 
another person. And so all the people listening to Jesus that day said, okay, Jesus, you're right. We are all doomed because we've all wanted to do that at some point in our lives. And Jesus says, okay, but I'm not done yet. Verse 27, he says, you have heard it said that do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, to which it's like, seriously, Jesus, I mean, who hasn't done that? I mean, Jesus, have you ever been to the mall? Jesus, have you ever been to the beach? Jesus, have you even ever turned on a television set? I mean, really, seriously, in our world, Jesus, have you ever even turned on the TV? And Jesus says, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in their heart. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He just keeps going on and on and on and on. And everybody listening to Jesus says, okay, Jesus, I get it. We are doomed. So what is the point in even trying? And Jesus says, but that's it. That is exactly why I'm here. Because, listen, it does not have to end with sin and condemned. Jesus says, that's the whole reason why I'm here, to bring you from condemned to forgiven. But see, listen, you will never ever be restored to God or to each other, or to each other for that matter, Jesus says, until you recognize, until you acknowledge that you actually need to be restored. And mistakers, see, mistakers think they can self-correct. And that's why people who think that they only ever make mistakes, that's why they never end up actually experiencing the forgiveness and the grace of God. In fact, it's actually in Jesus' most famous teaching, after Jesus spends a day with two different groups of people, one group who was pretty convinced that they were just a bunch of mistakers and really nothing more, and so they actually didn't need anything from Jesus. They didn't need anything that Jesus had to offer from their perspective. And then another group that Jesus was with on that same day, the other group, they felt so ostracized by the people that they lived with and the people in their community, they were pretty convinced that there was absolutely no hope for them whatsoever. So understandably, they had come to the conclusion in their life that, listen, we better just enjoy, enjoy this while we've got it. We better enjoy life while we're, while we're alive because, listen, once, we're, once we die, then there's going, to be, there's going to be hell to pay, quite, quite literally. And Jesus, after spending the day with these two groups of people, realized that neither one of them, neither one of them has a clue about what, what is really going on. And so Jesus, he tells them three stories. And once again, it's, it's Luke who records all three of these stories, just like last week. It's Luke who records these three stories that Jesus tells these groups of people. The first story is the story about a lost sheep. The second story is a story about a lost coin. And then the third story is Jesus' most famous story. It's one that you've probably heard of before. It's the story of a lost son. And Jesus begins by telling the group of people that are there, he looks at them, he says, one day there was a son who said to his father, Dad, I wish you would die. Because here's the thing, Dad, you have a whole lot of money and I'm really tired wasting my life hanging around this house just waiting for you to die. So, Dad, why don't we just pretend that you're dead? And you give me my half of the inheritance right now. Now, for the people listening to Jesus as he told this story on that very first day, when they heard it, they were absolutely shocked. 
Because just like for us, it's hard to picture a relationship between a father and a child that could ever possibly be more broken than that, isn't it? And at the very same time, Jesus continues in the story, and as shocking as this statement was, what's even more audacious, we find out, is the father, he actually agrees to give the son exactly what he's asking for. And this is a parable. This is a parable. It's a story that Jesus made up to tell a point to communicate a very specific point. And the point that Jesus wants to communicate in this story is that God, he actually understands sin and condemnation. And the point that that Jesus wants us to understand is how it is that God, how does God actually respond to those things? Because, see, Jesus goes on and he tells us that after a period of time, this son, this very same son, he actually returns to his father. And everybody who's listening to Jesus tell this story, everybody knows who's who in the story. Everybody knows that God is actually the father in the story. And everybody knows that the son is anyone who has done something that is so bad and so wrong and so awful in the course of their life that there's just absolutely no way that a regular father would ever allow a relationship to be restored with a son or a child like that. And as Jesus continues in the story, in verse 21, it's really amazing because when this son returns to his father, listen to the words that Jesus actually puts into this this younger son's mouth. In verse 21, he looks at his father and he says to him, Father, I have sinned. I have sinned against heaven and against you. Not, Not, hey, dad, listen, I made a mistake. Not, hey, Dad, listen, I had this job, and then, you know, there was my friends, and and we were all out together, and, and, you know, one thing led to another. None none of that. None of that. Just, I have sinned. Now, this is so important. This is so, so incredibly important, probably for somebody that's here right now today. The son is owning it, isn't he? Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I mean, think about how important this is. This is, Dad, I recognize that our relationship has been broken. And, Dad, I recognize that our relationship has been broken because of what it is that I have done. And I know that because of what it is that I have done, I have no right to call you Father, and I realize there is no reason that you should ever, 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 ever consider me to be your son again. Father, I understand that what I have done is sin. I have broken. My sin has broken and severed our relationship. That's what the Son is saying to the Father. And how does the father respond to this? Jesus' next words are very interesting. But the father said to his servants, verse 22, the father doesn't even speak to the son. Did you notice that? Now why? Why? Because the father has just heard what it is that the son has said to him. The father knows the son is owning it. The father knows that the son understands what's taken place. No excuses. No excuses. The father knows that the son is back 
The Father knows that the Son has recognized what it is that He needs to recognize if their relationship is ever going to be restored. The Father says to His servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on Him. Now, who are the servants? Who are the servants in the story? Bring the best robe and put it on him. Don't you want to know where he's been? No. I can see it in his eyes. Don't you want to know what he's done with all the money? No. No. I can see it in his face. And he's owning it. He's owning it. No excuses. Bring the best robe. And put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Verse 24. For this son of mine was dead. What do you mean dead? He wasn't dead. He was dead to me. He was dead to me. We had no relationship. Our relationship was broken. He was dead to me. But now, but now he is alive again. He, he was lost. What, what do you mean he was lost? You knew where he was the whole time. Our relationship was lost. Yeah, I knew where he was physically but he wasn't with me relationally. What is it that made this son alive? What is it that brought him back to life? It was the fact that he owned that the relationship was dead and that he was the one that killed it. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What are they celebrating? They're celebrating the restoration of a relationship. A, a relationship, yes, that is restored because of a forgiving father. But also, don't miss this, because of a son who recognized, listen, I am not simply a mistaker, I am a sinner. And my hope, my only hope, is forgiveness. See, don't miss this. When you think about Jesus, when you actually think about sin, when you think about what does it actually mean to begin again when it comes to this whole idea of belief, when you think about this, this idea of owning the label, sinner, I get it. I understand there's a part of you that wants to kind of push away from that. But see, pushing away from the truth, as ugly as it may be, is what leads to condemnation. Owning it, owning it, as scary as that sounds, is what actually paves the way for restoration. That, that recognition that I am a sinner, that is what leads to, to me recognizing that I actually need a Savior. And, and, and the point, Jesus would say, the, the point is that you actually need to believe the truth about you so that you can actually believe the truth 
about me. You, you've got to embrace who it is that you are so that you can actually become everything that I want you to be. You've got to embrace the fact that you have actually been separated from God who loves you. And the only way that you're going to come back, the only way to actually be back with God is to stop making silly excuses and to just look at him and say, listen, I, I have sinned. And when that happens, Jesus says, when that happens, I am going to give you what no mistaker ever asks for. I'm going to give you forgiveness. And I'm going to restore you. And I am going to bring you back to life. Now, here's the thing I know about you. See, I know that you did not need this message today to understand that your problem is bigger and it's deeper than just making a mistake every once in a while. And I know that you did not need this message today to understand and to know that the only way a relationship is actually restored is to recognize the fact that it actually needs to be restored. And see, that thing that is inside of you that is never quite satisfied, that thing that's inside of you that's never quite certain where it is that you actually stand with, with God, Jesus would tell you that is religion talking, that is avoidance talking, that's, that's you trying to do a deal with God talking. That, that whole uncertainty, Jesus would say, that actually comes because of the fact that you are separated from your Heavenly Father. And see, God, God actually wants to have a party, and He wants to have you back but the only way that you can actually be back is not as a mistaker. You've got to be back as a full-blown sinner. And when you are, and when you are, you will hear Jesus actually say to you, Stop sinning. Stop sinning. It's bad for you. It hurts you but you will not hear Jesus condemn you. Because Jesus, in his own words, would tell you, that is not why I am here. I am here for restoration and not, not condemnation. And so for you, for you, the question that you have got to answer if you really want to begin again in terms of your faith, in terms of your relationship with God, the question you've got to answer is this. Are you a sinner or are you just a mistaker? That's the question that you've got to answer. Now today, as we are going to kind of close our time together this morning, I've asked the worship team to come out and to to actually close for us with a, a particular song. And it's a song, I'll be honest, that's probably not familiar to many of you. It's probably not a song that you are familiar with. But the reason why I asked them to play this song to end our time together is because in the words of this song that we're going to hear in a moment, there's an amazing promise that's made. 
It's an amazing promise. In fact, I want to just, I want to read to you the words that you're going to hear so you can kind of let these soak in. The song says this, I will walk through the fire with my head lifted high and my spirit revived in your story. And I'll look to the cross as my failure is lost in the light of your glorious grace. So let the ruins come to life. In the beauty of your name, rising up from the ashes, God, forever you reign. And my soul will find refuge in the shadow of your wings. I will love you forever, and forever I'll sing. So here's what I want you to think about today. As you hear the words of the song, I want you to pay attention to what it is the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. Maybe for you today, today is your opportunity to begin again. For you to say to your Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I want to be back with you. Now if that's your, if that is what you is on your heart right now, as this song is being played, as this song, as we worship together, I want you to actually come forward. I want you to stand up in your seat. I want you to do whatever it is that you feel the Holy Spirit leading you to do because maybe today for you, this is an opportunity for you to begin again in your faith walk with Jesus and to take a step back towards your Savior who loves you. And if you want to sit and listen in your seats, that's fine. If you want to stand, that's fine. If you want to come down here and have someone pray with you and pray for you, that's fine too. But don't get caught up. Don't be afraid of what it means to own that label sinner. Because what that means, what that means is that you actually have, you have a Savior. Let's close with glorious ruins.